Chapter fourteen of Robert O'Hara Burke and the Australian Exploring Expedition of eighteen sixty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Magdalena Cook. Robert O'Hara Burke and the Australian Exploring Expedition of eighteen sixty by Andrew Jackson. Chapter fourteen. Brown's journey towards the Darling. He meets with and joins Wright's party. Bra and Wright visit Cooper's Creek, but failing to observe the traces of Mr. Burke's return, rejoin their companions. Bra arrives in Melbourne and reports progress. The committee of the Royal Society deliberate as to what should be done to rescue Mr. Burke, their approval of his measures. While the melancholy events recorded in the two preceding chapters were taking place, Bra, who, as has been said, quitted the depot at Cooper's Creek just seven hours before the return of the party from Carpentaria, continued to travel south with his men for seven days. At the end of that period, meeting Wright's party at Baloo, the two effected a junction. As will be seen from the following extracts, they visited the cache at Cooper's Creek together, but failed to observe any traces of Mr. Burke's return. They found nothing which would have led to the opening of the cache and the consequent succour of the brave men then dying of want in the wilderness. Brass says, under date, 28th April, 1861. Went very early in search of the horses up the creek. At about daylight I got in sight of them, at the same time observing smoke rising within three hundred yards from me, and near the horses. There was not light enough to see well, and I thought I had dropped upon a camp of natives, and resolved to try to obtain some information respecting the Darling Party. After going a few yards farther, I saw, to my great surprise, a European advance towards me. It was Mr. Hodgkinson. He led me to Mr. Wright's camp, and after bringing in our party with horses and camels, etc., I placed myself and party under the orders of Mr. Wright. Wright, however, states that Bra joined him on the 29th, which is probably correct, as Bra's journal was compiled some time after the occurrence of the events it records, partly from recollection and partly from a few rough notes he had jotted down to assist his memory. Wright says in his dispatch to the committee, dated 20th of June, 1861, With two of the party of eight dead, and a third dying, further advance or a longer stay at Baloo, amid unfriendly natives, were alike impracticable. And had our cattle been molested by the natives, our fate would have been sealed. Dr. Beckler and Mr. Hodgkinson, with myself, were the only healthy members of the party, and I decided upon an immediate retreat to Torowoto, at which place I hoped to recruit the sick and obtain fresh stores from the Darling. On the 28th of April, therefore, I packed up, proposing to start next morning, but during the night a bell was heard, and at daylight a mob of horses, recognised as forming part of Mr. Burke's equipment, was seen feeding near the stockade. Shortly afterwards Mr. Bra came up, and we were gratified to find that he was in charge of a party consisting of Patton, McDonough and Bowton, with twelve horses and six camels, very much infected with scab. On their way to the Darling, from the depot established by Mr. Burke at Cooper's Creek, Mr. Bra at once placed himself and party under my orders. The following is from Mr. Wright's diary. Monday, April 29, 1861, Baloo. The horses were very troublesome during the night, perpetually trying to steal away, 
and though closely hobbled, more than once attempting to swim the broad creek. About 3 a.m. a bell was heard from the south, and a number of dark objects, like cattle, could be dimly seen through the darkness. When daylight broke, these objects were recognised as forming part of the mob of horses taken by Mr. Burke, and shortly afterwards Mr. Bra came up and reported that he had just arrived from Cooper's Creek, where Mr. Burke had left him on the 16th of December in charge of a depot consisting of Patton, McDonough, Bowton, six camels and twelve horses. Mr. Bra had received instructions to remain at Cooper's Creek for three or four months, but had extended that period to eighteen weeks, and only left when his rations ran short. Previous to leaving, he made a cache of provisions, sufficient to enable Mr. Burke and party, if competent to retrace their steps, to reach the Darling. Mr. Bra had not followed Mr. Burke's track to Baloo, but had pursued a direct course, and reached the fifty-second camp of Mr. Burke, eight miles south of my depot, in about eighty miles. His horses had been one hundred hours without water, but travelled with much less difficulty than could have been hoped for. On proceeding to Mr. Bra's camp, I found Patton suffering from scurvy to an alarming extent, McDonough almost unable to work, and Bowton complaining. Mr. Bra placed himself under my orders, and I united the two camps in the course of the morning. Of the camels brought down by Mr. Bra, I found three, Beer, Rowa, and Mustana, suffering severely from scab. The others were in good condition. At a quarter past five this afternoon, Mr. Becker died. Tuesday, April 30, Baloo. The night passed quietly, no signs of natives being near having occurred. Early this morning Mr. Becker was buried. The stockade pulled down and the logs used to form, as far as possible, a protection to the dead. Mr. Becker's clothes, bedding, tent, etc., being quite unfit for use, were burned, and his other effects placed in a pack for conveyance to Melbourne. Wednesday, May 1, Baloo. Saddling commenced at 6 a.m., and half-past 10 a.m. we left Baloo on our return to Menindee. Dr. Beckler, Mr. Hodgkinson, Mr. Bra, Bowton, and myself were the only healthy members of the party, and I did not see the utility of pushing on the depot to Cooper's Creek for the purpose of remaining there the few weeks our stores would last. Our cavalcade made quite an imposing appearance with its twenty-two horses, fifteen camels, and the spirits of the whole party were animated by the prospect of regaining the settled districts. Several stoppages took place during the day, from the necessity of altering the seat of our invalids, or readjusting loads, and to show that our departure was not unnoticed by the natives, fire sprang up at every mile of our progress until we reached Culiato, at a tolerably early hour in the afternoon. Patton was greatly fatigued by his ride. Thursday, May 2. Culiato. Spelled at Culiato, got up a tent for Patton. Friday, May 3, Culiato. As I was anxious to ascertain before finally leaving the country whether Mr. Burke had visited the old depot at Cooper's Creek between the present date and that on which he left on his advance northward, or whether the stores cached there had been disturbed by the natives, I started with Mr. Bra and three horses for Cooper's Creek, and reached the headwaters of that creek on Sunday the 5th in about 70 miles, steering about west-northwest. I did not find any water throughout that distance, but crossed several fine large gum creeks, 
and saw an immense number of native dogs. The remainder of the party stayed at Culiato. Wednesday, May 8, Culiato. This morning I reached the Cooper's Creek depot and found no sign of Mr. Burke having visited the creek, or the natives having disturbed the stores. I therefore retraced my steps to the depot which remained at Culiato. Before the Royal Commission, Bra gave the following evidence. When you returned to Cooper's Creek with Wright, how long did you remain there? I suppose I could not exactly tell, not more than quarter of an hour at the depot. Did you make any examination about to see who had been there? Yes. I tied my horse up, and so I believe did right, near the cage, and went into the stockade and around it, and examined all the trees. Could you not discover any tracks? I saw camel tracks, but supposed them to be our own. Did you see any impression of human feet? No impression. Why? From the number of rats and the place being dusty. Are you bushmen enough to be able to follow a track? Yes. Have you ever practised it? Yes, I have, off horses and camels. Could you tell the difference between the track of a white man and of a native? Certainly, unless they were barefooted. Even barefooted? I should not be able. You did not discover any track that would lead you to suppose anyone had been there? None. I should certainly have opened the cache if I had thought anyone had been there. I thought the natives had been there on account of those three different fireplaces. Did you see any native tracks? No, not fresh. At whose instigation did you return after meeting Wright, yours or his? Mine. What was the object of that? I had got Wright, and Patton, he was in the doctor's hands. I thought he required rest there, and would get all right in a fortnight's time. Mr. Wright, not having gone to Cooper's Creek, I thought that we could not be better employed than in going back there as a last chance for Mr. Burke. Had you a lingering suspicion that he might be there? Yes, there was still a chance. When you met Mr. Wright, had you then, between the two parties, an abundance of provisions? I believe so, but I do not know what quantity of provisions. Wright had, I never inquired. Until the time of going back to the Darling, you might have concluded that there was an abundance. I do not think there was any to spare at the Darling. By joining Wright's party, had you nothing additional that you could have taken back to deposit at the cache? Yes, we could have taken some. You say, I think, that you had abundance with you when you returned to Cooper's Creek with Mr. Wright? Yes, we could have taken provisions from Baloo. Did it not strike you to do so? No. And that it did not strike either of them to do so is the most unaccountable part of their whole conduct. The following is from Wright's examination. Bra joined you on the 29th of April, and on the 1st of May you turned your back upon the creek, that is, two days afterwards? Yes, I went about twenty miles back. On the 1st of May you left Baloo on your return. At that time you had the number of men I have mentioned, viz. yourself, Hodgkinson, Beckler, Smith, Baluch, Bra, McDonough, and Dos Muhammad two of them ailing, and the rest in tolerable health, with abundance of horses and camels, all in good condition, with abundance of provisions, but having got some distance, you thought better of it? I did not think better of it after going some short distance, 
because it was my intention as soon as bra came in to go to cooper's creek which i stated to him after going two days journey you did return to cooper's creek i buried dr becker the day after bra came and i shifted the camp about twenty miles further down the creek and then went to cooper's creek did you take any spare horses with you we took a pack horse you did not take any provisions or clothing with you no how long were you reaching cooper's creek we reached there on the third day what day did you leave i do not recollect the day but the diary will show you reached cooper's creek on wednesday the eighth of may and you say you found no signs of mr burke having visited the creek or of natives having disturbed the stores how did you arrive at that conclusion there was no mark above the ground showing that any white man had been there there were two or three fires about the place which i supposed had been made by blacks i looked at those fires particularly and there was not a stick of wood as large as one of the pen sticks on the table which was not burned just as a black fellow makes a fire he just brings what is enough to keep a fire and no more i took bra there and told him to take particular notice to see if the place was in the same way he left it and he looked at it and said it was the place had been covered over and everything was so much like he had left it that he did not know it had been disturbed did you leave any record at cooper's creek of your having been there no i did not i intended doing so but i thought if i disturbed the place where the things were buried and took the bottle up the chances were the blacks as i supposed they had been at the depot would discover them i was not very sure whether they were watching us we had seen a smoke the night before, and being over-cautious, I would not take the bottle up to put a note in it. There was a mark of the 21st of April on the tree. That was left unaltered. Everything was left just as Bra left it, according to his account. If Mr. Burke had returned there, how was he to know anybody had been there? They could have seen my horse tracks where the things were buried. I remarked to Bra he ought to have buried those things two or three days before he left and put the horses in under the shade, as he had been doing before. And I said, at all events, we will put our horses in here now, and let them walk about on it, and the blacks will never think of digging there, if they should happen to be looking about. Would there have been any difficulty in putting W for right and the 8th of May, under the 21st April? I could have done that with a knife, if I had had the presence of mind to do so. You did not go to the creek at all? no you did not make any search in fact i just stayed there and had a look around about the place in fact i first thought of camping there that night but the horses i had taken with me being horses that had been at cooper's creek with mr bra he said if we stop here to-night the horses will certainly go back five miles up the creek to the place where they used to run and we shall have to walk up there in the morning for them and i thought it just as well to camp where the horses were used to stop as to camp there when I saw no mark showing that any white man had been there, I was very anxious to get back to my depot as soon as I possibly could do so, knowing the state the men were in. Would it not have been possible to have sent Mr. Bra or some other trustworthy person back to the sick people, and yourself have gone up to Cooper's Creek and remained there for some time? It would have been impossible to have done so. It will be remembered that twenty-two days after this visit, on the 30th of May, Mr. Wills visited the place for the last time. 
Wright and Bra, having rejoined their companions, proceeded towards Menindi via Torawoto, and reached the Darling on Tuesday, the 18th of June, 1861. Bra left for Melbourne on Friday, the 21st of June, taking with him an account of his and Wright's proceedings, and such papers as had been addressed to the committee by Mr. Burke, when he quitted Cooper's Creek for Carpentaria on the 16th of December, 1860. On the morning of the 30th of June, 1861, the day before Mr. Burke's death, Bra arrived in Melbourne and delivered his dispatches into the hands of Dr. McAdam, honorary secretary to the committee, who, having been apprised of Bra's approach by telegram on the previous day, had communicated with Sir Henry Barclay, and arranged to lay the papers before His Excellency and Sir William Starwell at the earliest possible moment. This was accordingly done. The same afternoon, being Sunday, a special meeting of the committee was held to hear the documents read, and determine what steps should be taken for the relief of the explorers. At this meeting, Bra was examined and gave an account of all that had occurred within his knowledge up to that time. He explained his reasons for leaving Cooper's Creek before Mr. Burke's return, and gave such additional information with respect to the habits of the natives and the state of the country as he considered might be useful to any relief party proceeding in search of his leader. It will be appropriate in this place to show what were the opinions held at this time by the leading members of the committee, with regard to those proceedings of Mr. Burke which were found fault with, after a full knowledge of actual results had been obtained, results, be it observed, not attributable to any want of care or forethought on the part of Mr. Burke, but arising from the disregard of instructions and a fatal want of steadfastness on the part of those to whom he had entrusted the means of affording him relief. Sir William Starwell, Chief Justice, said, A great many difficulties might have met Mr. Burke, any one of which would account for not hearing from him. His men might have been attacked with scurvy and be still alive, without being able to move any distance and they might be in some place waiting the arrival of the rainy season. That was but one of the thousand chances that might detain him. Although he, Sir William, was anxious to get the worst from Mr. Bra, he was not afraid of Mr. Burke after the wise and careful way he had proceeded to Cooper's Creek, and the manner in which he had followed the instructions of the committee. He thought that Mr. Burke would have satisfied himself that the course north from Cooper's Creek was not practicable and that then he went to the west after getting over the stony desert. Stuart's country had plenty of water and feed, and it could not be a bad season at which he started, for a fortnight after, Stuart, who had been over the country before, went out a second time. Although they must necessarily feel anxious about Burke and his party, there was no ground for despairing at all. The question was, what steps should they take in order that assistance might reach him as speedily as possible? Mr. Leager, Surveyor-General, said, Looking to what Mr. Burke was about, he conceived that on the whole he had attempted to carry out the instructions of the committee in the best manner possible. The first instruction was to make a route to the Gulf of Carpentaria, keeping Stuart's track on his left and Gregory's on his right. He did it and failed, and then he tried to get into Stuart's track. He, Mr. Leager, was convinced that Mr. Burke was in Stuart's country, or he was pushing to where Dr. Mueller and Mr. Gregory went lower down. What Mr. Bra had done since parting with Mr. Burke was a matter the committee could leave for consideration two or three days hence. 
It was very interesting, and would make a continuous narrative of the expedition up to the last that was seen of the leader. What they should rather bend their minds to now was how to reach Mr. Burke and secure him. It struck him that Mr. Burke weakened his party by dividing it into three. Thus far he disagreed with him. Sir William Stowell, it must not be forgotten that Mr. Wright and party were to follow the main party with provisions and join Mr. Burke. Dr. Mueller urged the necessity of acting promptly, but the party must be sufficiently strong so that if scurvy attacked them, aid could be detached to attend the sick, which could not be done with a small party. Indeed, a small party would be stopped, as Mr. Wright's had been by sickness. It was necessary to procure the aid of the natives, if possible, for their quick eye would discover traces in the wilderness that no Caucasian eye could discover. It was incumbent on the committee to send aid speedily. Calculating the provisions that Mr. Burke's party had with them, he found that, with the prudence and economy that they might suppose Mr. Burke would practice, they would have average rations for five months. Economising still more, and with the assistance of game and wild animals the party might procure, the provisions might be made to go still further. Although there was room for great fear and anxiety to be entertained, he did not consider Mr. Burke's case hopeless. Prompt measures should be adopted, as Mr. Burke might find it possible to spin out his rations till succour reached him. Mr. Burke, if tied up, would reasonably expect the committee would send succour. Dr. Wilkie pointed out that when the expedition first started, there were eighteen men in it. The fact was that at this moment the committee had only four men in the field. He thought that, under those circumstances, with the aid of a large vote from the legislature, that the committee should provide succour on a liberal scale. They should send a party sufficiently strong to leave a subsidiary party at the depot, Cooper's Creek, to which they should take stores, so that if Mr. Burke returned, he might be secure. It was incumbent on the committee to arrange at once to send a large party under Mr. Howard, say ten or eleven, Mr. Wright's party intended to reach Cooper's Creek in three weeks, when halfway they were attacked by scurvy, and there they remained within two hundred miles of Menindi. Mr. Wright could send no one away for secure, and had it not been for the return of the party from Cooper's Creek, the whole must have perished. The committee had simply to strengthen Mr. Howard's party, or to reorganise it with different instructions from those already issued. He could leave four men at Cooper's Creek while he proceeded in search of Mr. Burke with the main strength of his party. Sir William Starwell thought they should pass the resolution and settle the strength of the party. That would be something gained and would enable Mr. Howard to make dispatch with his arrangements next day. Doing something to save a day would be doing a great deal. Dr. Gilby thought the proper organisation of the party was of more importance than gaining a day, and he moved the adjournment of the meeting till next day, when they would have Mr. Brass' written statement to guide them, while, in the meantime, Mr. Howard, as well as the committee, could give their most earnest consideration to the whole subject. Sir William Starwell thought it would be a great pity that they should adjourn, having so unusually met on a Sunday without doing something. Hear, hear. All they knew now was that four men whom they sent out required aid. They could arrive at a resolution to send aid, which would enable Mr. Howard to proceed with his arrangements. They need not settle the number now. They could determine eventually the minor details. 
The men's lives were depending on a thread, perhaps. Footnote. In everything connected with this expedition, Sir William Starwell appears to have been conspicuous throughout for the practical nature of his views, and the energy with which he at all times urged the necessity of prompt action. He it was who, when the account of Stuart's discoveries was forwarded to Mr. Burke, wrote at the same time a private note begging that nothing short of the actual fulfilment of his mission should cause Mr. Burke to relax in his efforts to succeed. End of footnote. The above extracts, therefore, go to show that the very measures subsequently animadverted upon unfavourable were, on the whole, stamped with the approval of the committee as a body at this time. The report of the Royal Commission will be given at length in a subsequent chapter, and the reader can then judge for himself as to the justice, or otherwise, of its strictures on the conduct of the brave man, who added millions of habitable acres to the dominion of his country at the cost of his life. End of chapter 14